podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello everyone, today's guest is Wayne Larkins who played cricket for England in three decades, the 70s, 80s and the 90s, but sadly only in 13 test matches and 25 one-day internationals. Thank you for joining me on the show, Wayne. No problem, Stephen. But no T20 internationals in those days. You would have enjoyed those, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. I would have enjoyed those, yeah. And uh, I would have enjoyed the lucrative side of it as well. I, I, yeah, my notes say here that about the IPL and the Big Bash and the 100. Your little medium paces would have come in, Hannah. You'd have been an ideal player in the, in the drafts, wouldn't you? Well, I would have been, yeah. Little inners and outers and a, the odd very quick bouncer. But there's only one place to start. And um, we're recording here. I don't normally say this, but we're, we're recording this show on the 24th of February. I'm going to put it out on Sunday, the 6th of March. But today is the first day of the first test in 1990, when you were playing against the mighty West Indians. Yeah. Their bowling attack that day was Malcolm Marshall, Patrick Patterson, Courtney Walsh and Ian Bishop. Uh, a game England won by nine wickets. And you scored 46 and 29, opening the batting with Graham Gooch, and you scored the winning runs. That must have been yeah. one of your highlights. Well, it was, yeah. Uh, I've still got the video and, well, the, uh, the CD with me running down the wicket, and I've got a picture of it as well on the wall here. Yeah, it was, and it was, uh, it, it was a long time coming for that to happen, but... Um, I relished it and I still remember it to this day. It was a great it was a great achievement for myself to be in that position. And what was it like facing uh, those bowlers, Marshall, Patterson, Walsh and Bishop? Well, as a group it was always demanding. You had to pull out all your all your techniques and um and all your bravery and and just to get stuck in against them and and play your shots when you can. Uh, that was always been my philosophy. And, but it helped because I was playing them sort of um, bowlers in county cricket. So, you know, the bowlers before those, you know, including Roberts, Holding, Marshall, I used to play those sort of people in Patterson. I used to play those sort of people in county cricket. So it, it, that, that put me in good stead, which I don't think, the youngsters of the day don't don't have that knowledge of how to go about facing those kind of bowlers. Now, a lot of other guests have said that. And you're also on in that particular test and that series, you were joined by David Capel and Alan Lamb as well from Northamptonshire. Well, that helped a great deal because they, um, and Rob Bailey. Yes, of course, yeah. And, um, well, that helped a great deal being with... Um, being with some teammates, and you felt a bit more homely with, you know, within that, having teammates around you. And it was a series England could easily have won. We lost 2-1 in the end, but the second test ended in a draw, didn't it? Well, the second test was Guyana, which was great. Oh, yes, yeah, that's right, yes. The third test was the uh, game that was 
the True. rain affected the bad light. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, if it hadn't have rained, I think we'd have we'd have been two up two to play. And at that stage, before it rained, we knew we had them on the ropes. And and a lot of the a lot of the West Indians say that now. If it hadn't have rained, it saved their bacon because we'd have gone on to win that match. There's no question about it. So it'd been were- two up. Two up with two to play, yeah. And they were at the peak of their powers in those days, weren't they? Well, they were. And Viv Richards, really, their captain at the time, was really under pressure. Um, because, well, Viv didn't play that match. Desmond Haynes captained that match. Uh, Viv captained the first test. Uh, but I don't think Viv played in the Trinidad test. So Desmond Haynes took over, and he and he was really under pressure um, to to get a result. Why do you think England competed so well on that tour? As in the two previous England tours, we'd lost seven of the nine tests and drawn the other two. Well, it was the preparation we had down to Graham Gooch and uh, Mickey Stewart. They prepared us as a team to go to... Um, go to Lillishaw and have a stay there for a week. And um, we're having net practice with Devon Malcolm coming off 20 yards and bowling as quick as he can. We've all got the helmets on, the face guards and the chest pads. and We, we were like, um, everything was padded. And we had him bowling down off 20 yards. That was great preparation. And I love that. That has never been done before. Um, Not just at Lillisha, we used to go up to uh, Headingley. Boyks was there telling us what to do, how to do it. And it was was very well thought out. But we had a team of very, very strong characters. I can't think of one weak character we had in that side and that squad of players. And it was very, very well thought out. That was, that was the reason why we went out there and we, could, we thought we could take them on and beat them. And Devon had a very good tour. He was leading wicket-taker with, with 19 wickets. Well, he was. And, and that is because it was because of Gooch and Mickey Stewart and the rest of the team was helping Devon. And he helped us. And if we could get that built-in team spirit and team togetherness. And that was, that was vital before we went out there. And we had it. Well, I'd like to take you back to your cricketing roots now. And we'll come back to your, to your test career. But how did you first get into cricket, coming from Bedfordshire? I know your brother was a good player as well. He's an older brother. But was it your family or dad? Or? Well, it was, it was my brother. I, I took took notice of my brother, he's 10 years older than me. I took notice of him and he played for Bedfordshire through playing for Roxton, which is a little village in Bedfordshire. And uh, I took notice of him. And my dad was an umpire at the time, uh, a very good umpire, and he he umpired Bedfordshire games. And uh, it was through the family. But when when you grow up on a a pitch that you have to shoo the cows off first and uh, make sure 
the cows are often rope them out of so they don't come back on. But there's cow pats you've got to uh, put up with as well. And when the when you're fielding and the ball goes in the cow pat, you can't rub it on your trousers, rub it on the grass before you throw it in. You've got to throw it in with the cow pat on it. <laughs> so how, how old were when you played club cricket then, when you first started playing? Well, since I was 10 years of age, I played in the man's game for Roxton in the Bedfordshire Premier. And it wasn't that long after that you, you made your second 11 debut at, at 15 in, in the 1960s, June 1969, because I see in your debut you were playing with uh, Safraz. I, th- I think he was probably getting his registration for North Hans, I think, that year. Yeah, he was playing, yeah. Yeah, Safraz, yeah. Yeah. And that was a very, well, uh, the playing with people like that, I mean, there's Dennis Brake, one I wanted on to play with, uh, play for Somerset and George Sharp, Alan Hodgson, Peter Willey. They were all in that side, you know. They were, we all grew up together, really. And then you it's, made your first class debut for uh, Northants on the 10th of May 1972 against Essex at the county ground. And you're playing as with some of those people. You were playing with Peter Willian on that day, but also David Steele, Jeff Cook, John Dye, and also Mushtak and Betty. What was it like playing with those sort of play- people in a first-class match? Well, it was very intimidating. I mean, these people were test players. I mean, Mushtak Mohammed at the time was a record holder of runs, I think. And uh, it was very intimidating. But I'm a good watcher. I listen and watch and learn. And that's what I did throughout those years, playing with those sort of people. Uh, I just watched them and learnt from them. And that's, that's, how it, that's how I got to play as well as I did in the end. Yeah, I was watching those players and never said a word. I was just watching them and seeing what they did and how they reacted to things. And that's how I learned. It's not just about your ability, but you've got to put your ability and to one side and listen to what people say and then put it into action with your ability. Because Northants, say, in those days, in the, in the 70s, I looked up in... in 72, they were fourth in the county championship. 73, third. Third again in 74, eighth in 75. And then in 1976, you came second in the championship. And you also won the Gillette Cup, beating one of the best of all one-day sides, Lancashire, in the final. I went throughout my, uh, through my career without winning a county championship. And that was one medal I would like to have on the sideboard, I must admit. Because that proves you're the best, when it, especially when it was a proper championship, a proper league. You had to beat everybody, home or away. You had to beat them. That was a proper league. And, and to get to the top of it, um, it was some achievement. And I, I'm, I'm a, I regret, well, not, not regrets in the, the wrong word, but that's one medal off my sideboard that I wish I had. But what made that uh, side, particularly, say, in 1976, when you came second and won the Gillette Cup final, such a good side? We had everything. We had attacking players. We had David Steele that could bat all day and 
players, just attacking players used to play around him. You had Jeff Cook open the batting, was the same type of player. And all the people around those two players that was attacking and positive-minded, they could play their own game. And I think that was a great asset to that side. And the bowling side, I mean, I think, I don't know whether Bob Cotton was there at the time, but Bob Cotton, John Dye, Safraz Nawaz, you had Bisham Betty and Mushtaq Mohammed bowling his leg spinners, which at the time was probably one of the best leg spinners in the world. I mean, you know, it was, it was such a classy side. And we also had athletic fielders. I'm not talking about John Dye <laughs> or Safraz. But I'm talking about other players like myself, Cook, Willie. But we had athletic fielders around the wicket as well. Well, for you, England recognition first came in 1979 in the Prudential World Cup, as we should call it. And you made your debut in the semi-final against New Zealand at Old Trafford. England won the game by nine runs. And then you, did you think then that you'd get picked for the final? Well... Yeah, Mike Brearley at the time, uh, when I was selected for the semi-final at Old Trafford, he did have a word with me. He said, just stay on guard, keep yourself mentally fit because you could be playing in the final. And he had 12 players. It was between me and Philip Edmonds for the final. That was his choice he had to make, or the selector's choice or team choice. That was the uh, that that was the decision he had to make. So I was always wary that I could be playing. You know, I was always alert to the fact that I could be playing in the final. What was it like then to play in a in a World Cup final, packed house, Lords against the mighty West Indians again? Well, I'd been there. Lucky enough, I'd been there with the Northamptonshire three years earlier. Um, but it was daunting. You're not just playing for your county, you're playing for your country. I'm going to meet the Queen and Prince Philip and uh, Prince Charles at Buckingham Palace. The two teams went to Buckingham Palace before the final. And that was quite, you know, that was quite something as well. And the the game itself for the West Indies at one point, 99 for four, and then finishing up getting 286 for nine. But you're often talked about in the final because uh, England went into the game with four bowlers and their fifth bowler was uh, Boycott, Larkins and Gooch. Correct. Um, Yeah. You only bowled two of those overs, in fairness. Uh, Jeffrey bowled six. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he did, yeah. Um, But don't forget that I... He swept me. Collis King swept me I thought, oh, you know, good medium pace, but he swept me to deep square leg and Chris Old dropped me, dropped him on the boundary, deep square leg. Oh, I hadn't found that out. I know it's in, in your second over, you went for 16 runs. I hadn't read that you'd uh, a drop catch off your bowl. And that's, that's never mentioned, is it, when they talk about the 12 overs for 86 runs that these three bowlers uh, conceded? Well, no, no, it doesn't, you see. We, we, you know, that's, that's the way it is or the way it was. And, you just, them days, you lost the game. No one ever just go into detail of of how it was and what, sh- what could have happened. 
Uh, no. That's the way it was then. And I say, um, batting-wise, in the final, you batted at number seven, while, whereas in the semi-final, you batted at number three. Why was that? Well, I, I was selected to go at three, but Boyks and Brearley, we needed... Well, I, I, who got out first? I think it might be Breers got out. Or, no, Boyks got out first. I can't remember. But we needed, like, eight and over. Needing four point something at the start. When we lost the first wicket, we was needing like seven. So they decided to put me down and put Gower in. So Gower went in. And then I was dropped to four. Then he got out. And then I was dropped to five and put Randall in. I mean, it was just a, I just kept going down and down and down. And that's not, that's not a good positive attitude to have uh, when people don't have faith in you to go out there and do the job. And when I did get in, we were needing 12 and over. There's Garner bowling missiles at your toe end. I mean, he's the best York, Yorker bowler in the world, and he still is. He still has been, and everyone knows that. Yeah, Joel took five wickets, and I think four four people were bowled. Well, yeah, but just because he bowled Yorkers. He was coming from like six foot ten and bowling Yorkers. And needing 12 and over, you've got to do something a bit special. You certainly would. And uh, talking about, though, chances for England, um, do you look back, I'm going to talk a bit about your England career now, but do you look back with some regret at having so few matches for England? I mean, you, you made your test debut in February 1980 at the MCG. You played a part in the Botham's Ashes. You then went and you went on another uh, tour of Australia in in 1991. And uh, so you played 13 tests, but only seven of them against Australia, five against the West Indies, and only one against India. Do you feel as though you didn't get the opportunities you should have had? Well, obviously. Well, obviously. I mean, that that was a big. Uh, that, that that was a big part of my life. Um, you're talking about the 81 series, Ashes series. That's right. You played that, the six tests against Australia. That was the last. That, that was the last straw for me, because i I'd been involved all throughout the other test matches. Always involved. I was 12th man at the Headingley test, the famous Headingley test. Then I, I, I couldn't be 12th man then because Northamptonshire were playing. So I went back to Northamptonshire and I was always getting the telegram saying, you're still involved, you're still involved. Okay, I played in the last test match at the Oval uh, in, in place of Graham Gooch, which, which he had a, not a very good tour. And I thought I did reasonably well. I didn't set the world alight, but I 30 and a 20-odd. And me and Boycott in that test match put on the highest opening stand of the whole series. And, you know, come, come the end of that, I just scored 50 in a, uh, in a cup final at Lords. And then I was, they just sort of dismissed me for the Indian tour. You know, I just, I just, I lost my, lost my will to live after that, really. And it was the way I was told as well that, uh, didn't help my cause the way I was told that I wasn't selected to go to India. 
So how, how were you, you told in those days? Um, well, they, they usually, usually hear it on the Sunday morning on the radio. That was the way you were told. But I was, I was practising at Northampton. I think we was going to Scarborough um, to play the last game of the season. That was on a, I think it was a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And the team was announced on the Tuesday morning when we were practising. Then we would go up to Scarborough. And all the press come running over into the nets. And I thought, oh, here we go. And they, and they all run past me and uh, went to Jeff Cook. And then I thought, oh, dear. No, this is really uh, not good. If that's the way they want to carry on their selection process, well, it's not for me. So I went home really disappointed and I pulled myself out of the side to go to Scarborough and Cookie phoned me up at home in the afternoon. He said, oh, you're not coming then? I said, no, I'm not. I'm not going. Rule me out of that game. Uh, that was quite, that's quite damaging on my on my self-belief and what had gone on before. Yeah, to have again in the last test and got, I say, a 30, I think, and a 20 in the last test and then not to be in the squad. Well, yeah. We, me and Boyks put on the highest, the highest opening stand of the whole series. And it's just not, it's just not respectful of people's minds and the way they feel about the game and the way they feel about the selection process. And then you decided to go with the South African, the England, what they were called, Rebel Tour to South Africa. But you also carried on and played quite a bit of cricket in South Africa, didn't you? I did. I went to play for Eastern Province, yeah. But, well, that was a, that was a kind of um, thank you very much from the South African Cricket Board for going over there to doing what we did. So they, it was... They gave us some lucrative contracts to play. I played, me and Peter Willie played for Eastern Province. Um, Gucci and Embers played for Western Province. Um, John Lever played for Natal. Yeah, that, that, was, that was nice. But you still can't get away from the fact that why we did it is because it was just a, the selection process was a shambles. And the cricket in South South Africa, some tough cricket. You must have been playing against the likes of uh, Mike Proctor and people like that in those days. Oh, that was an eye opener as well because it, it it was a great experience for me. Well, I didn't need much experience, but there again, I was learning off people like Barry Richards, Graham Pollocks, Mike Proctors, and and it, it was a great. It's a great learning curve, and I'll, I'll never, I'll never, ever regret going over there. It was, um, it was called a rebel tour, but I didn't find myself being a rebel. I was out there to help the uh, apartheid situation. Um, I used to play for Utenag, um when I wasn't obviously playing for Eastern Province. And that was like 30, 40 minutes away to go and play a league game. But 
it wasn't, all right, I, I went and played for Utenay, but they were all white players. But I used to uh, go over there twice a week, a Tuesday and a Thursday, and coach the townships. And, and I loved that. And I used to come in by the tens and twenties and thirties and fifties on a Tuesday and Thursday night. And I used to love that. But all the townships loved it. All around there, they loved it. And Newtonay, as a white cricket club, they got really into that as well. And uh, it, it became very satisfying, not just for me and the townships, but also for Utenay Cricket Club. And that was a bonding I felt it was really happening at the time. So would it be fair to say that in your case, I mean, most, most sort of people at the time said all the players were going for the money, but you were very much disillusioned at the time with selection and that was one of the drivers for you to play better standard of cricket um, in South Africa as well? Without a doubt. I, I played with and against some very, very high-quality cricketers and I wanted to improve myself at that time. I was still... I felt needed to do a bit more in my game and my attitude. And they, me going over there, did that, as it proved in the following years. Um, I spent, what, three years playing for Eastern Province. But it helped me grow up, not just cricket-wise, but in life as well. And uh, I, I found them, that period of time, Banned for three years, playing in South Africa in the winters. I learned so much, not, you know, not just by playing, but by talking to people like Barry Richards and, and it, people like that. And then it's, you know, your Grand Pollocks. It taught me so much, not just about cricket, but as I say, in life in general as well, about apartheid. And it made me, it put me forward. To, it made me want to go and, into the townships and coach these people and get to know the way they, uh, what they miss out on, what they've missed out on in the past. And I, I found that very pleasing and rewarding. So were you doing the coaching in the townships off your own back? Yeah, I was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, there was no money, no fee involved. No, I was just, I, that, was, that was my give to them and then that, that I felt that when we played out there in the in the actual games of cricket that we played there was three unofficial test matches but I felt that and they and they come out in their in their thousands to support them games as well uh, and, and, I, and I really felt as if I wanted to give a bit back which hopefully I did well I know I did anyway. Well, that's very good to hear. And it sounds like you don't regret going. And then when you came back, you got a, a three-year ban, probably at your absolute peak of your county career. But you did then get back in the England side. Was that a lot down to Graham Gooch as well, who obviously believed in you? Yeah, definitely. I was disappointed when the ban was lifted and like Gooch got back in. Um, yeah, I, I was disappointed that I, I wasn't even mentioned 
when the ban was lifted. Gucci was straight back in, but I was never even mentioned. And I was, I was probably the best opening batsman of those three years I was banned in the country. And no one ever mentioned me. And of course, uh, there, there, no central contracts in those days either, you see, was there? I mean, no, no, there wasn't, no. And that really disappointed me again. I was, I was feeling like, what have I got to do? Uh, it, it was really disappointing. And, and, I, and I just sort of went uh, a bit quiet. And I, I just didn't quite know where my, step, yeah, my next step was going to be in, in the game, really. But I kept at it because I loved the game and I loved the team spirit we had at Northampton. I loved the players I played with, like your lammies. Well, that's another thing. I was banned, or we, we were all banned, um, for three years. But when I came back from South Africa, the, the Rebel Tile, that summer, Alan Lamb got picked to play for England. I mean, I couldn't... Me and Peter Willie couldn't get couldn't get her head around it. No, but he he still he, he went home in the winters and went to play in like well, I don't know about play, but I'm sure he did something out there and and he had properties out there with his lived with his mum and dad or whatever. Yeah, I was banned for three years, but they're picking us up. That that is the ruling that should change. Well, you, live, you come and live over here or play over here for a certain amount of years and you become English. And you're allowed to play for England. I mean, that, that's still, I still have an issue with that. Well, you were still performing for North Hants. I mean, you scored over 20,000 runs for North, 20,000 runs for North Hants. And then you joined Durham in 1992. Why did you choose to, to leave North Hants? Uh, well, that was a... That was a marital uh, situation. I was about to leave my wife and I was living with Deborah at the time. Deborah's still my partner, 34 years. And it was a difficult decision to make. They asked me, I had three meetings with Northamptonshire Board to take over the captaincy from Jeff Cook. I had the first meeting and I really thought I, did, I couldn't make a decision. So they said, we'll have a second meeting. So we had a second meeting and I said, well, what's the, you know, I've got a, a marital position that I don't want to talk about at this moment in time. I'm leaving my wife. I've got another lady. I said, we'll leave it at that, then we'll have a final decision. We'll have a final meeting. And, and I, I remember where they were. It was a Lumber Tubs pub in Moulton in Northampton. And the final time, the final meeting, I said, no, I can't do it because I just wanted to get away from it all. And that was when Cookie said, well, come, come to – Jeff Cook said, well, come to Durham. But that is probably the one – Regret I have in life is not taking that Northamptonshire captaincy. Really? Because at, at, at Durham, I mean, you again were successful. You had four decent seasons playing for Durham, playing with, say, Ian Both, Dean Jones. You must have been an experience playing for them as they first went into the championship. 
Yeah, but at that time, we all knew each other and we played against one another. I mean, Dean Jones, I played against him in one day in nationals over there and, and county games and test matches. I mean, what a great bloke. I mean, it's a sad loss in my life that, um, that he passed away as he did. Um, what a great man. And I've got some great memories of him and some great pictures and videos of him as well. And his whole family. Um, we had some great times together. What was it like to play with Ian Botham at Durham? The same as it was playing with him for England. Nothing changes. Ian Botham is Ian Botham. Nothing ever changes. But I, I, it, was a, it was a fantastic experience because it wasn't just Ian Botham. It was, there was Dean Jones. And it, it was a lovely experience. I mean, I love Beefy to death. But um, it, one or two, yeah, some, sometimes now and again you have one too many and have a little bit of a, a late night, but also a lovely bloke to be around. Great character. I love, I love being with great characters and I love being in the same side as great characters. I don't think there's too much of that around at the moment, obviously through social media, but I, I love being around him. I love playing with him. What a great bloke to be with, you know, to be with and his, his lovely company. But you, um, you finished up retiring in 1995, and I know it's in your last game against Nottinghamshire. You ended with a, with a century. Yes, I did. Yeah, and I reminded Jeff Cook, who was the head of cricket at the time, that uh, said we're not going to uh, we're not going to uh, take you on again. I reminded him of that. That was my really? last. Yeah, that was your last game. Yeah, yeah, my last game. Yeah, my last game. My last first class game was a uh, was a century. It's Nottinghamshire. Yeah, one hundred and twenty one, uh, and but then you still you still went on. You then played. The Bedfordshire for four seasons in in the minor counties. Yeah, well, that, I turned a full circle. I mean, Bedfordshire is my obviously my birthplace, and I played for Bedfordshire Ramblers. I'm never quite old enough or, or good enough to play for Bedfordshire, but I played for Bedfordshire Ramblers, Bedfordshire Seconds, uh, on my way to getting onto the Northamptonshire staff. So I turned a full circle, and I couldn't turn that down, and. and they were probably some of the most proudest moments of my life, apart from playing for my country. But playing for Bedfordshire and putting that Bedfordshire sweater on was a very proud moment. Well, you scored 10 centuries for Bedfordshire in those four seasons, so a successful time playing minor county cricket. Well, we did, yeah. Um, There was... There again, a lot of the players there that I knew, there were like um, people I've been with through being involved with Northamptonshire. A lot of them were Northamptonshire ex-players. Um, but when I first went there, there was knockout. There was a knockout trophy, and in the first year, we played a, a game against Oxford, Oxfordshire at Luton. And I went in, and they were the best side in the 
in the minor counties at the time. We were the first round draw against Oxfordshire. And um, I got 100 and, I don't know, 100 and something. Me and Dave Clark put on 130, 140 for the second wicket. And we won the game. And in the dressing room, I said, you boys, because the finals played at Lords, I said, you boys want to get to Lords and play at the Lords final? And they just sort of laughed at me and said, you serious? I said, yeah, I'm serious. We can get there. We'll do it. And they like, it's what they all sort of perked up and they, they were a different person just because I said that to them. And, uh, and we got there twice. We'd done it twice. And the first time, you, you wouldn't believe when they were walking through the Lord's gates. I said, they are. I told you we could do it. And that, that, that's all about a spirit and, and helping people along the way and giving them the belief they could do it. Because they were good enough. They just need to be given the belief. So it meant a lot to you to go back and really play from where you come from, really, in for Bedfordshire. Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't, as I say, it turned a full circle. And to play at Lords with a Bedfordshire sweater on, it was just perfect, a perfect ending. And here's a, really couple, of, a couple of quick ones for you before we sort of start to wind up. But who was the, the best person to bat with? Well... That, that is, it all depends, it all depends. The person that really respected in county cricket was Jeff Cook. You said batting with, didn't you? Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, so in county cricket, Jeff learned a lot off me and I learned a lot off him. And I think, no one can match our statistics of opening the batting in county cricket, me and Jeff Cook. So I'd, I'd put him in the frame, but I, I would put him second, but Graham Gooch. Me and Graham, I think me and Graham Gooch should have been a partnership for England for many years. Why did you say Graham Gooch? I think we had a partnership, not just on the field, but off the field. We had a lot of respect for one another, how good he was. Hopefully that he thought the same way, which in the end, I know he did. But we, we, we went back a long way. I played for Huntingdonshire schools and he played for Essex schools. And we go back a long way. That was when we were 15 years of age. And it's the respect. Um, he could take on anyone in the world, and I thought I could. And um, that would have been a really, really good partnership for England. Um, that That's why I say Graham Gooch. And I think we should have played for England for many years because that the world, the country missed out on that, I think. He clearly believed in you. That must have made a, a lot of difference to you. Well, it did. And when he was captain, I believed in him as well. 
which makes a big difference. When you believe in a captain, and this goes back to when we went to the West Indies, we believed, all that squad believed in Graham Gooch and Mickey Stewart. And that's why we went out there to take them on and we nearly succeeded when everyone thought we were going to get done 5-0. That is the difference, you see. You've got to have people believe in you. And he was good enough, one of the best players in the world at the time. You've got to back up what you say. And we believed in that. And that's why I wanted to open the batting with him for, well, I think I, I was capable enough and that should have happened. What about the fastest bowler you faced? I mean, you faced all the, the fast bowlers of the 70s and 80s. Yeah. The best or? Just the fastest. Just, just Everyone always says who's the fastest you've faced, you know. Sylvester Clark, I think, the fastest West Indian bowler I've ever faced. Because he, it was the surprise of it. He used to amble up and then just all of a sudden just swing it either way, whether it was pitched up or short or whatever. I think it, he was the one I I felt I'm going to have a problem. But we had a great deal over the years. We had a really good deal and we loved one another. Not on the park, but afterwards. He, he, I think he was the, the bowler that, yeah, he, he, was, he was difficult to handle. Now, as I've got a cricket and horse racing podcast, I heard from you earlier in the week saying that you're heading off to Cheltenham. Um, is that a place you go to on a regular basis? Yeah, I used to be a member there. Uh, I was a member there for four years. Used to go all four days and all the other meetings. But now I find it's all changed. It's like there's too many people there now. Well, I suppose it's because of my age, I think. I don't like queuing too much for things and and things like that. But I I love my horse racing, yeah. I love it. Um, We're going on Tuesday. My horse has got a – my daughter's got a horse. Yeah, Hermes degree with Warren Greatricks. Um, it's one, it's one, one bumper. It's only run twice in bumpers. It's won the first one, but the second one was a bit disappointing. So that's one to note. And it's a very good animal. They are, it's a really good, really good horse. When it goes hurdling, I should watch out for it. We'll look out for that. And best of luck on that's Champion Hurdle Day. And now, England are coming up to be playing the West Indies in a three-test series. What yeah. do you think England's chances are on the on the tour? Ooh. Well, it, to be honest with you, I, I, they're a bit... How can you assess what's going over there as players? Because you, you haven't got it in county cricket, as I said before. You haven't got their... They haven't been scoring runs in Kennedy cricket against your overseas quality bowlers, have they? So it's hard to me assess their ability. How good are they? I really don't know. 
there's one thing we've got to do is to get back to basics and get the top hand being the force of the cricket bat, not the bottom hand. And once I've seen them out there, I'll make my decision and make my assessment of them. And what did you think of England omitting Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson? Well, Jimmy, I can understand, but not Stuart Broad. I think Stuart Broad should be out there. I think Jimmy, Jimmy's a... I haven't spoken to him lately, but I, I, I think Jimmy... Well, Jimmy's on the verge, I think, but Broad should have went, without a doubt. And here's a, a very difficult question for you, because I just don't know what you're going to say to this, but how do you think the Wayne Larkins of the the 1980s would have handled uh, bubble life, you know, being stuck in a hotel, not being able to go out for, say, two weeks or ten days? How would you have handled that? I think I might have broken the rules, Stephen. I think I might have sneaked a few beers in or... Uh, just sort of flitted from room to room somewhere and have a little bit of a, a bit of a party. Well, thank you, thank you, Wayne. It's been a real pleasure to, to speak to you. Uh, a career that began in the nineteen sixties. You played in five decades and ended um, with a fifty for the Hunt Cricket Board against Gloucestershire in a CNG Trophy game in two thousand and one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I got man of the match. I was man of the match in that game. Well, there's not many people can say they played in, in five five cricket in decades. Well, no, there isn't. No, no. Um, um, I played in so many finals. I think it was eight finals, eight Lords Cup finals as well. There's not many people can say that either. No. Well, thank you very much for sharing your memories and being so honest and open with me about your Long career, 27,000 first-class runs and being on the Paddock and the Pavilion. My pleasure, Stephen. Thank you for listening to the Paddock and the Pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Pad and Pav. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network.